I want to talk to you this, this afternoon or this morning, we're still in this morning, about how to change your thinking, it changes your emotions. Change your thinking, change your emotions. You know, I think we all know this, but it's the way we think that affects the way we feel. I remember not too long ago, a couple years ago, I was uh, driving from the airport from O'Hare, and I stopped at a, a one of these rest stops just to get a cup of coffee, and so I got my Starbucks coffee, a little cream, cream and two stevia, nothing fancy, and um, I was sitting there checking my emails, and a lady came up to me, you may have had this experience before, and she came up to me with a gas can as I was sitting there in the stop rest, and she said, sir... She said, could you give me $30 to fill up my gas can? And I I looked at her, I looked at the gas can, and I thought, you know, I've seen this scam before. And so I said, I'm sorry, ma'am. I said, I've just been scammed too many times by people that have gas cans, so I'm going to have to say no to you. And then I felt guilty, like, well, what if she really did run out of gas? But then in my mind, I'm thinking, why does she have a gas can? walking around with a gas can. And uh, so I felt compassion. I felt a little guilty about it. And I'm, I almost called her back and said, oh, hold, on, hold on, ma'am. But then as she walked away, she said, next time I'm just going to rob people. It's easier. And then I thought, okay, then my emotions change. How you think affects your emotions. I thought, what if it's real? I felt compassion. Then when I realized she said, I, let me just rob people, then I, then I felt a little bit indignant because how you feel or how you think affects how you feel. How about it? So we're in a series entitled Let's Talk About It because we realize that there's a lot of people, especially over the last two years, that have felt lonely, that have felt anxious, that have felt nervous, that have felt uh, discouraged, that have felt depressed, and some people even in their depression have felt suicidal. And so we thought that as a community of faith that we should talk about it because sometimes there's this idea that if you're a Christian, if you believe in God, read the Bible, go to church, that you should never struggle with emotions. And some people feel a little bit Well, almost like there's a stigma to say that you struggled with depression or you've been discouraged or you've been through a dark time. And so we just want to remind you, like I've been saying this this entire series, if you have struggled with those emotions, if you are currently depressed, if you are currently struggling with anxiety, then we, no one in this place is labeling you a bad Christian. We are simply saying you're human, you're going through a dark time, you're experiencing human emotions, and we just want to say we are with you in this journey, right? People of God, can we say that together? So, you know, there's a lot of Christians that Uh, when they're going through times of depression or discouragement or these dark times, they allow some lies to come into their mind. Lies like, 
God has abandoned me, or I'm guilty of some terrible sin, that's why this is happening to me, or my faith is just too weak, or I don't belong with this community of faith because other people look like they're happy, but I'm not, or maybe I'm being spiritual or oppressed when it's really more emotional, or God is disappointed in me, or maybe life is just not worth living. And so we figured that it would be good to talk about this as a community of faith and look at what the Bible has to say, especially about this topic of mental health. And so I want you to take your Bibles today and go to a passage of Scripture that we started this series on, found in Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, that speaks specifically about the topic of anxiety. Now, let me just say this about anxiety. Anxiety is a feeling. It's an emotion. It's an emotion of nervousness and stress over those things that we cannot control. It's triggered oftentimes by the thought that there is something bad coming our way, something that we cannot control, And so, therefore, we get nervous or anxious as we think about it. And that nervousness and anxiety shows up in worry. It shows up in sleepless nights. It shows up in a racing mind. It shows up in the inability to be able to focus. It shows up in distraction. It shows up in sometimes pains in our body because of just the overload that we carry uh, with ourselves or on ourselves emotionally. It shows up in many, many ways that are destructive, damaging, and unhealthy to us. In fact, oftentimes anxiety carries with it, drags with it, depression. It starts in the world of anxiety, but then It takes away our joy. We start focusing on what's wrong, what's bad, what's negative, what we can't control. That drags our emotions down, and we start to cycle down to dark places in our life. And so if that's you, if you've experienced that or know someone that's experienced that, this message is going to be very relevant, I believe. The Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 4 is speaking to a group of believers about that very issue of anxiety. And he says, the Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, Whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever is pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So if you're taking notes this morning, I want to just give you a couple observations about what it means to change our thinking so that our emotions that follow our thinking also will change. Number one, our anxious feelings follow 
our anxious thinking. I want you to understand this because oftentimes we have this perception that, well, we have this perception that our emotions just overwhelm us and we don't know where they come from. And let me say that typically our emotions come from the garden of our thinking. In other words, your emotions don't just come out of nowhere. Your emotions are triggered, are birthed by the way you think. Your thinking generates your emotions. And that's what really what the Apostle Paul says. He says, don't be anxious about anything. And then he leads us to what to do with our thinking. and our prayer, he says, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. A couple weeks ago, we talked about this. The Apostle Paul is saying, as you have these situations that you're tempted to get anxious over or worried about, he says, take those situations, entrust them to God, but wrap them in thanksgiving. Make sure that you're thanking God for His goodness, His provision, for what He's doing and, and, and how He's there. Make sure you're, you're focused on thanksgiving. And then it says, in the peace of God, which passes all understanding, can invade your heart. In other words, change the way you think about that which you're worried about. Package it to God. Give it to someone who has greater power than you and start thanking God that he's in control. What the Apostle Paul is doing is he's trying to let us know that life is full of all kinds of things to worry about. How about it? I mean, if you were to sit down and make a list of things right now to worry about it, how many of you could fill a whole page with stuff? I mean, there's never a shortage of things to worry about. And so, he says, in every situation, there's going to be all kinds of situations that we face. But he says, he's basically telling us to remember that it's our thinking that generates our feelings. It's like a train. The, the, the front of the train is the engine. Your thinking is the engine, and your engine carries the carts behind it of your feelings. And so you could be sure right now that however you're feeling, you, it has been generated by the thoughts that you've been thinking. Number two, write this down. We have the power to refocus our thinking. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Let me tell you how most people think about their thoughts. Most people believe that their thoughts cannot be controlled. Most people think that your mind just goes wherever it wants to go and that you have very little control over your thoughts, you just find yourself chasing your thoughts. We had a dog, and as a puppy, this dog uh, would not listen at all. In fact, if we let the dog out into the backyard, we would spend our time chasing the dog into the neighbor's yard, uh, across the street. And 
How many of you have had dogs like that? We say, come here. No listen, just runs off. In fact, we had this dog, some neighbor found her randomly and brought her back. We thought, yeah, we couldn't find her. And she just ran off. And if, we, if she went in the backyard, we'd just spend our time chasing after her. She wouldn't listen. She wouldn't hear us. She would just wait, look around, go this way, sniff around, go across the street, go in the neighbor's yard. And anytime we were out there, we'd spend our time chasing after the dog. We didn't lead the dog. We chased after the dog. Now, as that dog got older and we trained her, then we were actually able to manage her. And we would call her and she would come. We would stop her and she would get contained. But in the beginning, we spent all our time chasing after her. Some of you look at your, think about your thinking that way. You say, well, pastor, I can't control my thinking. My mind just wanders. It goes here. It goes there. I try to call it back. I tell it not to worry. It worries anyways. I try not to think about it. I think about it anyways. I tell myself I'm not going to get upset. I get upset anyways. I tell myself I'm not going to talk about it. I talk about it anyways. How many of you can relate to that? I, I, I try. I try, but it's out of control. What the Apostle Paul tells us is this. You have the ability to refocus your thinking. It takes some work, it takes some training, but you have the ability to point the direction where your mind is going to go. You have the ability to tell your, to, to point your mind in the direction of, listen, here's the list that he gives us. Whatever's true, that means opposed to what is false or deceitful. Whatever's noble, that means something that's worthy of honor and dignified. Whatever's right, that means the ideal of justice. Whatever's pure, in other words, unpolluted, in, and he, th this word is used in reference to purity of virgins. Whatever's lovely, pleasing, attractive in a good sense. Whatever's admirable, a good report, well spoken of. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, it's a virtue or excellence in any area that's praiseworthy, anything that calls down the approval of God, think about such things. Amen. We spend a lot of time doing the opposite. And then we wonder why we feel the way we do. Uh, do you realize that the news overall, there's very good news typically reported because most people gravitate to the bad news. You don't want to, you don't read the article about how this family's happy and going out together and they're having a good marriage. You read the salacious news about the affair and the divorce, and that's what you're focused on. That's what sells. That's what people think about. And so what happens is this, is that you, you, your mind focuses on certain things, and as your mind focuses on certain things, it drags your emotions with it. And let me just say this about how our thinking works, and... Uh, this, is, uh, this is recent studies over the last 10 years or so. Uh, they've done a lot of research on how the brain works. And this is 
within the last 10 to 15 years, the word neuroplasticity has come out, uh, which talks about how our brain is wired, how our brain works. And scientists up until uh, the last few uh, 15, 12 years did not know a little bit, they didn't, they not, did not know a lot about how our brain works. But they've begun to discover with new technology and science that your brain is made up of neurons that connect with each other and talk to each other. And the word neuropathways is a word that's come out when it talks about the brain. And so here's what they've discovered. They've discovered that your brain, the way that it functions, is that your brain makes a path. Neurons talk to other neurons, and they make a path of, what, of how you think. And the more you use that path, the more your brain tends to go down that path. The more you think a certain thought, the more your brain naturally goes toward that place. It's almost like uh, they've described it like pouring water. You take water and you pour it on the sand, and at first the water doesn't know what, where to go, but then it creates a little, a little pathway, and the more you pour the water, the more the water goes down that pathway. That pathway gets a little deeper. That pathway gets a little stronger. So now you pour a lot of water, and it goes in one direction instead of looking at many directions because it's the least path of resistance. It's the pathway that's developed already in your thinking. So when it comes to our thinking, uh, scientists have discovered that, for example, if a little child, when they are young, they are told, for example, no, you can't do that, you're dumb, you'll never be able to do that, and develop a critical mindset, that that neural pathway starts to develop. And... As they grow, they, their thoughts go more and more down that neural pathway. I'm dumb. I can't do it. I shouldn't try. I'm unable to. I'm, this, is, this is not what I can do. Other people can, but I can't. And so they go down this pathway of negativity because that's the neural pathway that they've chosen. And the more that it's developed, the more that they go in that direction. They've also discovered that if a child is encouraged to develop creativity, if they are told that they can do it, if they're encouraged in a positive way to be able to do it, then they say, no, I think I can do it. I think I can take the risk. I believe I'm, I'm able to do so. They go down that pathway. As they grow, your mind typically goes down the pathway that's developed for you. Are you tracking with me here? This is really important. So we have the ability, some of you, have had a neural pathway that is contrary really to the Word of God. It's a neural pathway of worry, a neural pathway of negativity. You're always looking for what can go wrong. You're always looking for the worry angle. You've developed it. You've probably done it for years. It's your neural pathway. Someone comes up with a great opportunity, and it's always like, yeah, but what if it doesn't work out? But how are we going to do it? Do we, can we afford it? Will you have time? We got a great car. This car got a bargain deal. What are people going to think? There's always this 
narrow pathway that your mind goes down. It just naturally goes down that road because you've developed a highway to go on and your mind goes down that road. What the Apostle Paul is telling us is that many of us need to develop a new pathway in our mind. The pathway in our mind needs to be developed. It needs to be the highway of true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. That needs to be the neural pathway that our mind chooses. And so we start going down that road on a regular basis. So any opportunity that comes, our mind thinks that direction. Our mind goes that direction. Our mind is naturally predisposed to go down the road of thinking what's good, what's trustworthy, what's true, what's admirable, what's excellent. It's the narrow pathway of God. You say, well, Pastor, I really want to do that, but it's just too hard for me. I think that's my personality. I think I'm just wired that way. I think I'm just built that way. No, you have, you have developed the habit of thinking that way, but that's not the God way. In fact, let me tell you, let, let me explain it this way. In Romans chapter 12, he adds to this. In Philippians chapter 4, he tells us how to think. In Romans chapter 12, he tells us how, basically how to change our thinking or what's important about our thinking. Notice what it says. Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. That word transformed in the Greek is the word metamorphosized. Do not be conformed any longer to the way that the world operates because the majority of the world thinks a certain way, operates a certain way, behaves a certain way. God says, but you, you need to be metamorphosized how? By the renewing or changing of the way you think. Now, what does it mean to be metamorphosized? Uh, you ever, have, have you ever seen a film or a documentary or pictures of a caterpillar that builds a cocoon? And while they're in this cocoon, there's something that's happened. There's metamorphosis that's happening. In other words, that caterpillar is being metamorphosized in this cocoon, and then when it starts to break out of the cocoon, it's a butterfly. What has happened? Metamorphosis has happened. God says, the way that you're transformed, the way that you change, is that you have to start to change your thinking, the renewing of your mind, and as you change your thinking, then it starts to metamorphosize your behavior. Are you tracking with me? You are changed by thinking in new ways, by developing new patterns of thinking, because that new pattern of thinking begins to change how you behave, your character, how you look at life. Now let me tell you the difficulty about changing our thinking. The moment that you become a believer, your spirit is made new. So the moment that you bow your knee, you receive Jesus as the Christ, the Son of the living God, and the Holy Spirit comes inside of you, you're forgiven, you're washed, your spirit is new. So that's immediate. 
That's automatic. That's instant. Your mind, however, takes a long period of renewal and transformation. So although your spirit's new, it takes a while for your mind to catch up with your spirit because your spirit has, your mind has to go into this process of renewal. You are sanctifying your thinking. It's a process, it's a journey of changing your thinking so that your behavior can catch up with who you really are in Christ. Are you tracking with me? So some of you say, I'm forgiven, but I don't feel forgiven. I'm loved, but I don't feel loved. I have a destiny, but how come I don't feel like I have a destiny? Because your emotions are catching up with your thinking. As your thinking starts to transform, then your emotions will catch up with your thinking, but it takes a while for that to happen. You say, well, how does it happen? Well, it happens as we begin to train our mind. Uh, how? For example, do you know that the Bible says, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God? What's the will of God? For you to give thanks in everything. What's happening when you give thanks? When you give thanks, you're telling your mind, I want you to think on what is good. I want you to think on God's sovereignty. I want you to think on your destiny. I want you to think that he's in control. I want you to remember that he's Jehovah Jireh, the God that provides all my needs. I want you to think that he's Jehovah Rapha, the God that heals. I want you to focus your mind on the good that God has, not on that which you cannot control, but the goodness of God. Praise is that as well. Uh, some of you don't understand the power and depth of praise. In fact, some of you come to church a little bit late because you say, I want to skip all the karaoke singing. I'm not really a singer. You know, I just, you know, that's not me. I want to get into the teaching. I just want to hear. I want to take notes. I want to learn. I want my mind to change. I'm not really a singer. I'm not really a hand waver. You know, just give me the meat. No, no, no. You've missed the point. You don't understand that praise, first of all, God deserves our praise because he's worthy. But you don't understand what's happening in praise. As you worship God in praise, you are focusing on the character of God, on the goodness of God, on the beauty of God. You are letting your mind dwell in song in the presence of God, the goodness of God, the beauty of God. We sing about His character, His miracles, His goodness, His faithfulness, His eternity, what He's done in our life. Praise and worship focuses on who God is and how God is and how He's worked in our lives, and it's affecting your thinking. So the Bible talks about, in everything give thanks for this is the will of God. The Bible talks about lifting a praise to God continually. What are those things? You are transforming your thinking as you engage in worship and praise and thanksgiving. You are creating a godly neuropathway of plasticity that follows the God track rather than the track of this world. Yeah. One of the things that, that I engage in on a regular basis, and some of you do so as well, is that before every meal you pause and we say, say grace, 
But we pause and thank God. You say, well, does the Bible say you have to do that? No, it doesn't. But the Bible does say in everything give thanks for this is the will of God. And what happens when you take time to thank God before you eat, it builds in moments of thanksgiving into your schedule. So when you sit down to eat, you just say, okay, let's pause, let's stop, and we're going to thank God. You bow your head, and you say, thank you, Lord, for this meal. Thank you that you are good. Thank that you control. And what's it doing? You are building into your rhythm of life a spirit of thanksgiving. I have a, my oldest grandson just turned two this week. And when he comes over, he sits in the high chair. My wife puts the little plate in front of him. He's really into avocados. That's his favorite food right now. And he makes a mess. His hands smears it over his face. But before he eats, we say, hey, hey, Finn, what are we going to do? He looks up at me. He knows already. He puts his hands together. So he puts his hand together. And I put my hands together and we say, thank you, Lord, for mommy and daddy, for papa and yaya, for Uncle Josiah, Uncle Grant, Carolina, for the dog, for the food, for Finn. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. And he says amen. Now, let me say, you don't have to do that. And some of you grew up in sort of a legalistic background, and you think, if I don't pray, you know, God's going to double the calories of this food, and, you know, it's, it's going to be cursed somehow. It's not going to taste as good, so I have to do it this way. Or some of you are at work, and you kind of don't like to do it because you don't know what people are going to think when you pray, right? So you do the headache prayer. <laughs> or, or you drop the napkin. Lord, thank you for this. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> been around. I've seen you. The point is, why do we do that? The point is, I want you to build the rhythm into your life of thanksgiving, of worship, of prayer. God deserves it, but it also is changing the way you think, because when you thank, when you praise, when you worship, and when you read the Word of God, you are renewing your mind when you meditate when you pray you're renewing your mind you're creating a pathway that says i'm focused on you god god that you're in control god that you are sovereign god that and every time you do that the more that you do that the more it affects your emotions as well it changes your thinking it affects your emotions it allows you to be able to function in a much more healthy way as you engage in the practices of being a follower of Jesus be metamorphosized by the renewing of your mind And then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and His perfect will. Now, I believe that one of the great challenges in renewing our mind is that oftentimes 
not only do we need to create these neural pathways of thanksgiving, by the way, the more you do it, the more you do it, the more you engage in it, the more it's like that river, you pour the water, and your mind's going to go straight to that. The way that you think, thanksgiving, praise, God is in control, affects the way that you view life. I heard of a, of a company that when they were hiring people, they wanted to figure out people's mindset towards problem solving and whether they had a positive or negative mindset. So they, in the interview process, they would create a fictional story. And they would say, hey, say you're in the bank and you're at the teller counter and someone comes in to rob the bank and they have a gun. And they say, hands up, everybody. I'm robbing this bank. And they realize that the police is coming. They hear the siren. And so they shoot one shot, and that shot hits you in the arm. You're the only person. One shot, and it hits you on the arm. And then they run off, and the police catch them. How would you tell your, that story to your friends around you? They notice that the people with the neuroplasticity pathways that were negative would say, oh, I'm the most unlucky person in the world. Out of all those people in the bank, they had to shoot me. <laughs> Only one shot, and I'm the one that gets shot. I'm so unlucky, it always happens to me. The worst things in the world happen to me. I would say that's a terrible event that happened. Then they realized that there were other people that had the neuroplasticity towards positivity and thanksgiving. And they would tell the story like this. Oh, I'm the most blessed person in the world. Think about it. One shot just a couple inches over, it would hit my heart, I would have been dead. But it only hit my arm, and I got out of it, and no one else got injured. And wow, am I lucky. And I was able, and besides, the police caught him. What a great story I have to tell people. See, the same thing happened, but different interpretations of what happens. You see, what God is telling you is that as followers of Jesus Christ, our default mode needs, it needs to lead with our thinking, our thinking about God, our thinking about His goodness, our thinking about His sovereignty, and that affects our emotions. And that begins to alter the way that our emotions are because we are focused on the goodness of God, the power of God. We're meditating on His Word. We're allowing truth to sink into our soul. We're praying. We're focused on God. This life is not just a bunch of random acts, arbitrary acts of the universe, but there is a God that's in control, that's sovereign, that loves us, that controls the universe, that controls the world, and we are very much aware of it. It's a different worldview. Now, I believe that one of the greatest challenges is the first challenge that he tells us here Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true. You see, Jesus said, you shall know the, you shall know the, and the truth shall set you free. See, even non-church people know that. 
you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. So if the truth sets us free, then lies keep us what? Bound. Here's what I want you to notice. Here's where the battle lies. Listen to me well. Oftentimes, lies are planted into our life and our mind, especially early on in life. The lies that are most deeply planted into our heart and mind are the lies that accompanied with trauma. Because those are the lies that are magnified. Those are the events that we remember in our life. When there's trauma involved in our life, especially when we're young, it plants lies within us, and our mind tends to go down those paths of lies over and over. And as we grow up, those lies get intertwined in our personality. They get mixed in our soul. We can't distinguish between the lies and the truth in our life anymore because we've grown up with those lies. For example, a little girl is nine years old and she's molested by an uncle until the age of 12. That's a traumatic experience for her. No one knows about it, but she knows about it. It's trauma. Maybe the Uncle Lee's dies, goes away, but she lives with that trauma. In that trauma, there's a lie planted in her. There's something wrong with you. You're broken. No, you're, you're no good. This has happened to you. And so she goes into her teenage years, and she struggles with this feeling of inadequacy. This was, there's something ugly, dirty about me that I've grown up with, I haven't told anybody about. She desires the acceptance and approval of a man, but yet at the same time feels like I'm unworthy, tends to get involved in relationships that are controlling, and in her mind she says, that's what I deserve, that's what I am, that's who I am, and so can get involved in relationships that are abusive, that uh, treat her bad, but at the same time in her mind she's got this lie, this is what I deserve. And now she's 35, struggling with the lie that she's grown up with all of her life, intertwined in her personality, affected her relationships, affected how she views the world. Why? Because this lie was planted in a traumatic way within her life. And it's the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And she comes to Jesus... And she knows that she's loved. She knows the theology that she's forgiven. But it takes a renewal of her mind, the power of the Holy Spirit, to finally help her understand you're washed, you're clean, you're a woman of dignity, value, you're a daughter of the Most High King, you are precious in His eyes, you are worthy to be treated in the right way. It takes work for her to be able to understand that, the renewal of her mind to be able to grasp that. And so, some of us, as we enter into Christianity, we have deep-rooted lies within our soul. And it takes time for those deep-rooted lies to be unearthed, unrooted, through the power of the truth of the Word of God.
It takes the Holy Spirit, a supernatural work of God, a constant renewing of our mind, a redirecting of our thoughts to be able to begin to develop a sense, a new sense in our mind, a renewal of our thoughts because our mind tends to go in the wrong direction over and over and over. And as we come to Christ, we have to renew our mind. No, I'm a child of the living God. No, I'm washed and forgiven. No, there's nothing that can separate me from the love of God. And you have to renew your mind. You have to get into truth. You have to fight the lies with the truth. And that is hard work. And that is a journey. And that takes time, but it's worth it. And then lastly, number three, not only are anxious feelings follow anxious thinking, we have the power to refocus our thinking. And finally, in verse 9, the Apostle Paul reminds us that people who influence us affect our peace of mind or our thinking as well. Look at what it tells us in verse 9. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me put into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Four things he says, learned, received, heard, and seen. The Apostle Paul is telling them, hey, I was with you. We hung out together. We were friends. We spent time together. You watched me, saw me, walked with me, ate with me. I was at your house. I've influenced you in a positive way, so let that positive influence, that community spirit, lead to transformation in your life. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 26 says, The righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. Proverbs 13, 20 says, Walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get into trouble. Here's the thing. One of the greatest influences on your thinking is the people that you do life together with. So if you're trying to renew your mind in the Word of God, but the people that you hang out with, the people that you're friends with, the people that you associate with, the people that you do life with are all in a different direction it's counterproductive to the renewal of your mind. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Just nod at me. I've heard it said that you become like the five people you spend the most time with, so choose them carefully. So there's two things that happen. Number one, sometimes when we're struggling with depression anxiety, discouragement, fear. We, we don't want to be around people. We just don't want to be around people because being around people takes energy. When you're depressed, you can barely get out of bed, so you say, I don't want to go to church. I don't want to go to small group. People are going to ask me how I'm doing. I don't want to talk with them. I just want to sit here and I want to curl up with my blanket and just veg out and watch hours of a miniseries. But actually, that's the worst thing that you could do. Because what you really need to do is you need to be around community. 
You were built, engineered, made for community. But you need to choose the right community. You need to be around the right kind of people. You need to be around people that engage in the same values that you engage in, that are with you in the journey, that are celebrating your progress, that are encouraging you, that believe in God, that their faith is strong, and you need to be around community. God never engineered you to live alone, to act alone, and God never engineered you to live your Christian life alone, by the way. In fact, the church is called Ecclesia. It's called the called out ones. And by the way, when I talk about church, I'm not talking about a meeting. I'm not talking about a building. I'm not talking about a building with a steeple. I'm talking about a people that do life together, a people that embrace what it means to be followers of Jesus, that celebrate together, that eat together, that share together, that pray for each other, that worship together, a people that um, share a common faith in in the face of a world that is more and more sometimes secular, a world that doesn't understand what they do, how they believe, but we come together and we do community together. We're encouraged by each other. That's why the Word of God says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but even more as you see the day approaching. Listen, we need each other. So as you, as you struggle through some of these emotions, as you struggle with some of these challenges, I want to reiterate the fact that as a believer in Jesus Christ, I don't want you to live with shame or guilt or a false sense of, I can't tell anybody about my depression because they're going to think I'm a bad Christian. I hope that in this church, if you share with someone your struggle, that the response will be, hey, bro, we've been through those kind of things as well. Let me pray with you. Let's talk about it. Hey, I hope that if you share in a group that you're struggling and that you had a suicidal thought that someone's not going to, like, oh, and you call yourself a Christian? No, no, no. That's not the response that you're going to get in this church. You're going to get someone that puts their arm around you, that, that loves you, that prays for you, that says, hey, do you need help? Um, you know, can I call you up? Can I encourage you? Now, there's always a Pharisee or two among us. I'm not going to say that, you know. So you may get one or two that's going to respond in the wrong way. But the majority of the church is going to say, we're glad that you're here. We all struggle. We struggle like you struggle. We're going to walk with you, pray with you. And that should be the response of the people of God with people that are struggling, especially through dark moments. Let me close by reminding you of this. If you're at a point in life right now where the cloud of darkness overwhelms you at times and doesn't allow you to function at times. There is no stigma in getting good Christian counseling. Hello? There is no stigma in doing that. In fact, I would encourage, highly urge you, if you've been stuck for a while in a place that seems to 
that seems hard to get out of, then I would challenge you, join a small group. We have Celebrate Recovery. Join another group, a women's group, a men's group. Get some friends. Get into community. But you may also need to get some good Christian counseling to help you navigate the waters of trying to make your way out of this. And there is no stigma to that. That's a good thing. That means that you're taking responsibility to work through some of these issues that are difficult for you to work through. So... We give it up and we applaud you if you get good Christian counseling. Can we do that? Yeah. Now I want you to stand with me at this moment. And I think it's worth the reminder as we close this series up. I want to read you a verse out of Romans chapter 8, verse 38 as the musicians make their way forward. Here's what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 8. Listen. I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death or life, neither angels, hey, listen to me, not even demons, You say, oh, pastor, I'm under attack. I think these demons, and you may be, but can I tell you something? Not even all hell and the demons in hell can separate you from this amazing thing called the love of God. Neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. So I want you to know that. I want you to experience that. I want you to remind yourself of that. I don't know how dark your moment is. I don't know what lies have been thrown at you. I don't know how you feel today. I don't know how numb you may feel today. But I want to remind you that there is a God in heaven that loves you beyond what you can imagine or fathom. He has not given up on you. He loves you and nothing or no one can separate you from the incredible, powerful, redeeming, transformative love of God that is poured out upon you in an unceasing, unending way. It's the God that we serve and the God that we follow. So, as the worship team gets ready to close our time together, I realize that some of us are in a long journey of mind renewal. I realize that some of us have our Nero pathways carved out in our before Jesus days. And now that we've come to Jesus, our mind still goes to the pre-Jesus ways. And it's going to be a battle to renew your mind and to start thinking God's way. But I want to encourage you, don't give up. Don't stop renewing your mind. Get involved in the habits of daily thanksgiving, of regular praise, of meditation on the Word of God, of reading the Word of God, of sitting at the feet of Jesus and saying, speak to me, Lord, because I'm listening. Jesus said one thing is necessary. 